Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. On today's episode of Nerd or She Wrote, we're going to dive into Seth Partnow's tears, and we're going to talk with John Hollinger about his article on the all-hero team. This is Nerd or She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo Dekeel, are you ready to be entertained? and Seth Partnow. Welcome to a new episode of Nerder She Wrote. As you know by now, I'm not Dave Dufour. Dave is out finding himself in the forest, in the woods, trying to be one with nature. But I have Seth Partnow with me. Seth, would it be kind of funny if Dave comes back with a full head of hair? I would worry. I would be shocked. I, it would be really weird. I'd be very curious what wilderness <laughs> Dave looks like. I would immediately go to that same wilderness if he does come back with a full head of hair. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Dave will have found the fountain of youth, hopefully, by next week. And fountain of fur. There'll be no more baldness. Fountain of fur. There we go. Um, there's many weird ways we can go there. Uh, we're going to leave that one alone. Seth? I'm going to leave it for you here. You've come out with not a rankings. Don't call it a rankings. I believe I, I tweeted that out and got yelled at. But you've done some tiers, some NBA tiers, where you've dropped all week long, five through one. Seth, take the floor. So it's obviously very important to know what you have on your team. And this that is sort of the starting point from this is – now is the point where we've just finished the NBA Finals and we're heading into the offseason with the with the draft scheduled and free agency coming some point after that to be determined. To come up with your plan for what to do with the offseason, you need to know what you have and you need some sort of scale to, to recognize how close your team is to where you want to go. And from what I found from uh, past research and really based on uh, stuff, really some groundbreaking research Kevin Pelton did when when they were doing like the all-time NBA rank project is that there's a certain level of of kind of player goodness at which players kind of start to matter. And it's not like guys below that don't matter. You need, you know, good, competent minutes to get you to the playoffs and then deep enough into the playoffs to, to, to win. But th- the guys who really move the needle uh, it turns out to be about 125 guys, give or take, every year. And the higher you go up uh, that, the more each player matters. And each group matters more by a bigger difference than the last. So the jump from Tier 5 to Tier 4 is one thing. The jump from Tier 4, which is players 40 to 380, give or take, uh, to Tier 3, which is the, the uh, 20 to 25 to 40, uh, that's a bigger jump, and then a bigger jump still from players about you know five to twenty, just tier two, and then the top, the really top guys are your true superstars, uh, and then being really kind of hard eyed about who goes where because if there's one thing, and I'm sure John can can agree with this, if there's one thing that uh, is not in short supply in, in basketball circles, it's optimism about you know just how good, especially your own players are. Yeah, and I think, John, I, I want to throw it to you. Actually, this is the first time the three of us have been on a podcast. We've all been with NBA teams. John, like this is a project that you would feel you would do yourself in Memphis, right? Or along these lines, maybe not yeah. these tiers. but Yeah, I mean, we we all were looking at different ways of how to rate and rank players and come up with uh, kind of – 
valuations for, you know, especially ahead of free agency, kind of determinations of what is this guy worth? And more importantly, what is this guy worth to our particular team and our particular situation? So uh, we, we spent a lot of time in Memphis, not so much looking at point guards and centers, but everything in between because of that. Uh, whereas other teams in other situations, I think would kind of look at different situations or different types of players more heavily when we, when we had, and, and, and again, this goes to not just kind of a straight valuation, but kind of within these tiers, you're sort of picking out which players are best for your situation, right? When we already had Tony Allen, we weren't going to go hardcore after, uh, another guy who played the wing and wasn't a shooter, uh, for instance. And I, I think every team is sitting down and making judgments like this as they map out what their free agency, what their offseason is going to look like. I mean, I've had so many conversations of, would you want this guy over this guy? You know, or, you know, I've, in from my days in the video room, just kind of wandering into, you know, somebody's front office exec's office and having conversations of just random stuff. And we would go through of like, who, how many how many guys would we want before we get to one of our guys or the other way around and, and things like that and having that debate and, and things like that. I thought that was kind of really interesting, Seth, in, in your pieces. And, and John kind of just touched on it. Like, you know, you're, if you're Memphis and you have Mike Connolly, you're not looking at other point guards. He's your guy, right? You're, you're, you're focused on other positions. And I think you kind of touched on sort of how teams look at fit and things like that. I do think that even if you if you're set at a position though you do need to know uh kind of where you stand because I think that is a uh okay is we've got our guy is is he you know is he a a franchise superstar in this league or is he an all-star in this league and that and kind of figuring those things out really do tell you are we one player away or are we two or three guys away and that kind of affects how you you manage your cap and kind of what what moves you you kind of uh, anticipate making. I mean, if you're you know if you're one player away, then you know a slight overpay for for the guy who you think is going to put you over the top makes a lot more sense than it does if you're if you're nowhere. Um, so yeah. so even though you're not like you know you're not uh, uh, it, it's not like the meme of of the guy looking at the other woman, not his girlfriend. With when you have when you have Mike Conley, you do have to know kind of where he is. In, in in sort of the spectrum of of the top point guards in the league, just to give you just to help give yourself a sense of of uh, y- y- how how close are we? And it is so much harder evaluating your own players because you're both you're both more favorable and more harsh at the same time. Like usually on your young guys, you're kind of very generous and you're thinking, because it's your guy that you right, picked, right? right? So it's like, oh, of course he's going to yeah. develop into a starter in two years and. And, you know, when someone's like, well, he's kind of similar to this other guy who's rates as the 423rd best player in the league. You're like, <laughs> shut up, man. It, it, it's almost. <laughs> what are you doing with this? It's data? almost like and you then, need a red team. You almost need a t- somebody that's completely outside the organization to come in and, and, and lap yeah. you and be like, you know. That, that, no, that's that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And on the other side of it, you'll turn around and ask the coaches by the end of the season. And like, they but by that point, they, they hate everybody, right? Because <laughs> they're so sick of these guys, even the best players. They, you know, they all have weaknesses. They all have their, you know, 
little hangups or weirdnesses or whatever. <laughs> and so well, it's, how, it's completely the opposite situation. Yeah. I mean, so like, how, how do you take that in though, John and, and Seth, you too? Like, how do you guys take that from the coaches when you're looking at it or from the video guy who comes in and says, Hey, you know, I'm not sure about this one. Yeah. I mean, I, in some ways, I, th- I think the, um, the, the assessments from the from the video guys I think sometimes are pretty sharp when it comes to other teams because they'll they, they see mm-hmm. so much of these other teams when they're doing the preps um the coaches not so much the coaches I found actually are the opposite situation where they really only see the other team the four times they play them and then otherwise they're still kind of they're mentally like two or three years ago when when it comes to a lot of these players on other teams it seems like um so that 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 was an interesting thing that I didn't really grasp until I got into the league and yes video guys are better so, video guys are always better <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, in this in this particular situation they kind of were um and then obviously you know we had our own own scouts and people and whatnot who um had their own opinion we had them sort of like during the course of the year looking at questions like this you know who are the players and other teams who are maybe undervalued by their own team, you know, who could be available. What do we think of these guys? How do they compare to the guys on our team, et cetera? Yeah, and, and that's the thing that 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 I hope gets across in this is this is not like a, a static list that exists at all periods in time. It's, it's a snapshot and it's a, it's a never-ending kind of process where you, no matter how formally or informally you, you kind of do this, this rating, ranking, tiering, however you're going to do it, uh, it's, you're constantly reevaluating over the course of the season. And it's, it's sort of the, uh, um, the push and pull is not wanting to be behind, but also not wanting to overreact to one or two good games. And, you know, especially from, you know, this is, this is sort of the input you get from the coaching side is a, a player has a great game against you. You really have to, to, uh, to push back a little bit against that. Well, he's the greatest player in the league. He just put 40 on yes, us. We so, call that the Doc yeah. Rivers. <laughs> 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 we, it it oh, definitely oh. wasn't only Doc Rivers, yeah. I'll tell you that. No, it wasn't. But it's just fun to do that one. And then on the other hand, we you know, if you want to move somebody, you know, go quickly, pull up who his career high was against, mm-hmm. call that team first. Right. Every time. Works works perfectly. But it's perfect like when you talk about it in terms of trades, because Seth's right. This is this is sort of a evolving list that you're kind of working on throughout the year and you know, as you're leading up to like the trade deadline, how do you guys play into the rankings and stuff? Seth talked about it. I've personally seen it. I imagine I'm curious what John's board looked like, but you know, you have the somebody has the front office board where they're ranking everything and, and, you know, whatever it's magnets or whatnot. That's what it was with the Clippers, you know, of, you know, this guy, this salary, you know, we like him over this guy or, or whatnot. What are, how does that kind of play into kind of, you know, the trade deadline, because it's something you're working on, I think I imagine throughout the year. I think that that's that's a part where it, it's it's a different process depending on where you are as a team. Uh, I think the the better a team you are, the more you're looking at kind of specific fit. Uh whereas if you're in a more building phase, you're just kind of you're trying to acquire talent efficiently. And those aren't those aren't uh those aren't mutually exclusive, but it's you're probably leaning more towards one or the other, depending on on again where where you yeah. are as a team. 
Uh, yeah, I feel like our trade deadlines were so constrained by possibilities that we it was really it was really we didn't spend a lot of time ranking players ahead of the trade deadline. We spent a lot of time discussing what was possible and then discussing the subset of players that were actually uh, attainable. Yeah, and 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 how how they would how they would work with us. So we kind of we kind of came at it a little backwards because I mean for most of my time there we knew who the who the four main players in our team were. And so you're trying to backfill around that. Yeah. And, and I, but I do think that, that you get in a situation where it, it really helps to have done the work on what you broadly think of kind of players around the rest of the league before you get into that, into that decision time, because you, that's a, uh, you know, the, the, the bias towards action, you can, you can easily kind of talk yourself up on a guy if you haven't really, um, it really vetted it thoroughly, like through through your your process, whatever it is. You know, you okay, well, this guy's available and we need to make a move, so let's make this move when it maybe doesn't actually make sense if you Oh, that step. never <laughs> happened. <Yeah. laughs> wait, 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 wait. I I'm thinking of a name. Um, there 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 are two other players who share the same last name on this list. No. Am I wrong? <laughs> well, I, I, let me think about that one. Danny and 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 the 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 mainstay and the death lineup. <laughs> oh no. yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah. But like you know, it's it's fun because this is the kind of like your rankings and your your tiering of guys. And again, kind of coming back to the fit thing. Like this is something when we were with the Clippers, we would. And when I say internal discussions, mostly in the video room, which meant nobody gave a damn what was being said. Uh, <laughs> but like we would we would yeah. just sit there, and this is. We have a young Blake Griffin. We have Kevin, you know, Kevin Love in Minnesota is killing. This is like 2012, 2013. And we're kind of sitting there going, you know, well, who would you rather have? And that's sort of the the fit question. You know, for us, I was like, I, I thought Blake was the better player. But in terms of fit with Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan, I said, oh, well, yeah, Kevin Love would probably do really well here because he'd be, help to spread the floor. It's his while Blake was working on his shot, Kevin already had one. And you you have the same amount of passing, I felt like, maybe even better passing from Love and all that stuff. But this is the kind of debates that, you know, leads up to it. And this is sort of the yeah. w- w- what you guys are trying to accomplish or what Seth was trying to accomplish with his tears, right? Or am I way off base? No, I think you're right. And in and the really the important part isn't it almost isn't the end product. It's it's that discussion that you're thinking of because it really helps you you're going towards this end product of, okay, we have this list up on the board, but it's also, you've had to think very, at a very granular level about your team and other players around the league. And I think that's like doing it in, in that way is it really sharpens your, your kind of understanding and instincts of, of, of what, what's out there. What do you need? What do you kind of, what do you have to spare? Um, which allows you to be kind of more freeform creative in like the, the po- like expand the possibilities of move you, moves you can make just by having a fuller understanding of, of all that stuff. Mo, Mo you're not going to be happy when I tell mm-hmm. you this. <laughs> Kevin Love killed us. Oh, no, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Prime Kevin Love freaking wrecked us. I, 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 listen, like, I, I was in, but I, I just it didn't, you know. I, I mean, you know. Yeah. What, 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 not, like I said, John, nobody gives a damn what the video guy thinks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard, too. I mean, as, as a franchise, I mean, when you draft that guy number one overall and he's, you know, Lob City and all this and the yeah, it, face of the team or whatever... And what's funny is, 
by by the time he got to the end of his Clipper tenure, the beginning of his Detroit tenure, he was skilled enough on the perimeter to do a lot of those Kevin Love things and hurt us the same ways. He just wasn't at the time you needed him to be that guy in 2013. Well, that was always my fundamental problem with the Lob City Clippers was just those guys, and DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, just weren't the guys we we needed them to be. They just weren't – they needed more time to to, to yeah. be there in, in that it's, you just said it all the way. And that's why I'd always say like, well – you know, Kevin Love is probably not the ultimately the better player in the deal, but he probably raised our he would have raised our ceiling. Now, listen, this was never a trade that was actually on the table or anything like that or or, or discussed. Again, a lot of dumb things get said in the video room, and you can probably chalk this one up to me being smart and everybody else being dumb for once. But uh, of course, of course, <laughs> you know. But this was a, a a common thing. But this is kind of what I look at when I look at your tears, you know, and and. <laughs> You know, I thought you did a great job with your tiers. Of you know, the, I can nitpick and say where I think some guy should be versus another guy, but for the most part, I felt like the tiers themselves were were pretty well put together. Yeah, I think there's definitely. I mean, I know there's some guys that I am. You know, since this ultimately came down to my judgment after doing some doing, you know, some work with metrics and and canvassing a a wide range of opinions, this is ultimately like. Uh, it, it's easier in a way in that it's mostly my judgment, and it's not—it's not something that had to be really arrived at via committee, uh, which is, you know, again, do to do this in a formal way uh, can take weeks or months. Um, but yeah, but it does again makes you you understand why you think of a guy in, in a certain way. And I, I, you said something really interesting there, Mo, which which I, I think is another reason why this exercise kind of exercise is so important is what do we need this guy to be to be good? And it's very easy, and, and John, I think you'll agree with this, it's very easy for you to say, okay, well, for us to reach our potential, this guy has to be the 10th best player in the league. So let's just assume he's the 10th best player in the league. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, and, and being really – being really strict and and in your judgment about and and realistic about you know where guys you know are relative to other people is it is it close enough that it doesn't matter or really okay actually no like Paul George is a step up from Donovan Mitchell or something like that um, and and okay we recognize that and 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 act accordingly um, and I, like interestingly one of the players who ended up much higher on this list than he would have probably prior to the playoffs is Jamal Murray. And it seemed like the, the Nuggets were were operating as if he already was because they needed him to be for, you know, you know, having already given him the extension and 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 stuff right. like that. And and it, you know, and it it seems like it's gonna work out for them, but it doesn't it it uh either you can say they saw something before the rest of us did or they got lucky or somewhere in between. Yeah, it, it actually works perfectly to go right into John's he all hero team, you know, because Jamal Murray. I wrote about Jamal Murray today. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, Jamal Murray is. It's interesting because I think everybody had the same reaction you had, John, when when he signed the extension. Everybody was like, "Are you are you sure you want to give him this?" Seemed like a reach. Right. Yeah, the five year max, right? It, yeah. And now you look at it and you say, "You're a small market like Denver." You like you go to the max to lock the guy up for five years instead of four, and maybe that was a smart thing to do now, because it looks like he's going to be basically worth it. 
My, I mean, my, I just remembering back my own, my main issue was it wasn't the, the fact of it. It was the fact they did it before the season rather than after it, which, you know, it's, it's, you lose that little bit of, you take that little bit of risk on the team side and, and that little bit of extra information that you would get over that season. Uh, I mean, if it, if he had ended up with like signing that deal after the season, sure. Um, but but yeah, I, I I I also agree with you, John, that it it it's kind of thing that that on the other end, having him you know emerge as as this this player as, as he did in the bubble, uh, now looks pretty smart to have him locked up long term. But like what like for John, what changed your opinion of Murray? Like what did he do over the course of since he signed that contract? We were like, all right, that's justified. We know he blew up in the the bubble, but like what were some of the skills stuff like? Because I always felt like he could score. Just uh, the fact, I mean, he just did it more consistently. Like he he would have individual games where he blew up, but then, you know, then he'd have seven and four in his next two or something. And like it's it's just, he, he just brought it so much more consistently in the playoffs under a huge mm-hmm. minutes load too, actually. And then I, th- I thought his, um, just his, his accuracy as, as a shooter, uh, and maybe that's a short-term fluke, but I mean, he played 19 playoff games. Like it's kind of a kind of a long thing to just say, "Wow, that was a fluke," <laughs> right. right? And uh, so, so, uh, so I think there was that. Um, and then I, you know, it's weird. I think he had the space to be more assertive offensively, maybe because of there are other injuries, not having Will Barton there, not having some of the other guys they were missing early on with the COVID stuff, and. Uh, you know, Millsap being a little bit less than what he was. Like, I, in some ways, I think that gave him the space to just be like, okay, I'm just, you know, I'm just letting it rip now. I think he also, I think it, it probably got he- almost goosed a little bit by um, Utah kind of was clearly trying to make Jokic be a scorer right. instead of a playmaker. And that put more of the playmaking burden on Murray. And mm-hmm. and then it seemed like he realized and they realized collectively that oh yeah he can he can do that too he's not just a bucket getter he's a guy who can who can facilitate and get get for other other people at a high level too and that was I think that was the maybe the more easily sustainable part of his to me his bubble his his bubble growth if you will um, but on the other hand you, you mentioned the shooting um, and even if it regresses some it's still. At a, especially kind of from a, a pull-up shooting standpoint, he has a lot of room to regress to still be better than what his kind of bar was before that. And that was really Absolutely. one of the, that was kind of one of the things that was holding him back from that that kind of tier of, of you know, way, maybe like the Kemba Walker-ish, like lead scoring guard kind of thing. I have a question for you guys, but I'm going to ask it after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back, fellas. So here's my question to you. How much does the bubble and, and the seeding games and the playoffs kind of make these rankings so difficult? John, you addressed it in your hero team article. Seth, you addressed it in your rankings. 
you know, like how are we supposed to evaluate these guys was just such a weird situation. I mean, the shooting was crazy in the bubbles. That's something that we feel can continue all that fun stuff that we've talked about for what, 12 weeks. It feels like now. Yeah. I think it just makes Seth rankings completely wrong. But mine well, are fine. I said that for, I've said that yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. I've said as soon as Seth told me he's doing rankings, I just yelled out wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good. That's good. <laughs> that's the that's the favorite way to in, invalidate any methodologies. I disagree with this guy is ranked. So the whole the whole thing was done. <laughs> the entire thing, uh, yes. <laughs> I've never heard. I've, yeah. Anyway, um, I have a player ranked 124th that did not make your top 125. <laughs> Ergo, and I'm and I'm ergo. offended. Yeah. Okay. I shall fight you to the death. Yeah. Um. I so there's. I think we talked about this. Was it last week when we had Ben Taylor on? Um. We we talked about this a little bit with him in that the, uh, some of the guys, especially the young guys who who John mentioned in his 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 Harrow Ball piece, uh, were. Probably we saw their development after what would have been a normal offseason of work. Uh, and that first offseason is probably most important for the younger guys because you get your first sort of trial by fire. It's like, oh, I need to get better at this. Okay, I could get away with this before. Now at this level of play, I can't. So let me work on this. Now, whether we see kind of what would be a second full offseason of improvement before next season when effort starts, I don't know. Um, my impression is... is probably less likely just because kind of the normal open gym cycle that that we're used to where guys are getting you know uh you know early september guys would start showing up back at the gym and start playing pickup games right. and, and stuff like that that whole cycle has been has been broken so I, i'm not sure we'll see that but maybe um and as far as just the overall like shooting and and play and and how much the lack of travel played into that I, we just have to take a wait and see approach to see, you know, how real, you know, Jamal Murray's shooting is, Anthony Davis's shooting is, um, uh, Tyler Harrow's uh, overall play. Um, I, 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 I don't want to. I'm very reticent to go out on a limb and say either way because there's there's kind of factors that are pulling in either direction, and it's it's we're completely off the off the map in terms of what to expect next. And it's it's funny because I. Um... You know, we we talked about this a little yesterday, Seth, but I, I talked to some people in the league on the same subject, and I basically got the same answer, which is that we're in uncharted territory, and it's it's almost something you take case by case and say, okay, well, why why was this guy good or terrible in the bubble, and how much you know how much of that do we think is predictive versus not, and it it just makes the overall evaluation process a little more challenging heading into the off season. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that scares me in terms of free agency. You know, uh, we have Jeremy Grant, who's going to be a free agent in Denver, and they're going to probably pay a bunch to sign him, and there's going to be teams that are interested in him. You know, how much of it was just being in the bubble and being able to perform like that? Or is that something of like, no, this is who he is. Like, it's a hard – God, it's just such an uncomfortable thing to kind of figure out. Like, at least when you had a normal season, you're like, all right, we can – figure how all this kind of plays together and how it works. But with it, in terms of just the, the free agents for me are the bigger issue than, yeah. you know, listen, Jamal Murray signed. He's, they, they made that commitment to him a few years ago. So they were screwed if he sucks. Um, you know, Tyler Hero is going to be with the heat for the next few years. It's the guys that they got to make decisions on 
you know, whenever free agency is going to start. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Jay Crowder, Goran Dragic, Rajon Rondo, Contavious right. Caldwell-Pope, right? Yeah. Like, those I, are the guys. So I think that – and and I think that the guys who had a good playoff run, good bubble and playoff run, that's closer to something that we we normally deal with in – you know, we've seen guys have a have a nice playoff run and get, like, stupid contracts before. Um, you know, the, the, the OG of this is Jerome James, of course. But, you, yes. you know, in more recent years, like, Solomon Hill had a, had a good right. little run mm-hmm. in the playoffs and got, like, a – you know, a, an eight-figure eight-figure annual contract out of it. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's you know that's still something that has to be navigated, but it's it's of a piece with sort of the the normal kind of evaluation there. The, the more interesting and harder one is guys who were who were you know bad. Uh, like like what what is what is what do you think of of like you know? There's obviously extenuating circumstances for for Montrezl Harrell, mm-hmm. right. but. At the same time, some of his weaknesses are weaknesses you might have expected to see from him in a playoff setting. So, how do you balance the 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 um, the benefit of the doubt factor versus the well? If he was going to struggle, that's how he was going to struggle. Yeah, or I mean, was I, Paul Millsap. You know, was he bad because he's getting old, or was he bad because it was just a contrived situation and Denver had a lot of moving pieces and it's just. Not a not a great environment for him. Yeah, it's tough. Like with the the Montrez Harrell piece, Seth. I I actually think this is who he is. You know, I I get the the circumstances he had and and kind of never really was in great shape. But I think you're right on. And I think this would have been problems for for them in the playoffs. This is why I had been screaming all year that like they they needed to get another legitimate big man. Uh, you know, the the Paul Millsap stuff, John. To me, is interesting. Because it's like that's the big one is 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 it just he's old, or is he old and just didn't really handle the bubble well? Like there's just so many guys I felt like the bubble was too difficult for him. Yeah, and then there was the other argument that's been made that some of the guys benefited by, uh, let's say, the limited nightlife options in the bubble. Yeah, for sure, for sure, sure. Yeah, we didn't get to see Jr. play much, but I'm sure he would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> You know, or or another guy who he's not a free agent or anything, but like Westbrook's a great guy who was rolling in March. You know, February and March was his most efficient. Yeah, you know, he he comes into the bubble, comes back from COVID, has a a, a quad injury, and you know, really kind of stunk it up. For me, my problem with Westbrook wasn't just whether he could physically do it; it was just I thought his decision making was terrible, which I don't feel like either of those players roll into it. I mean. It- for a guy who is who who his game is based a lot on on just like nuclear athleticism, you start to strip that away, and then what well, plays? Oh, I can make that play, and now no, wait, I'm 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 not fast enough to do that. Even though I I and and some and how much of that is him getting a little bit older, and versus you know not being in in tip top shape or a little injured because of of you know the 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 COVID and, and injury situation. But as you said, I mean he was you know he played possibly the two best months of his career like heading into the shutdown so what do we make of of russell westbrook i like he's one of the harder guys to evaluate and then on top of that it's it's um you know how much how damaging to it to houston long term is not just from a contractual standpoint but from a style of play standpoint 
is building in such a way to maximize Westbrook. I think that's almost the bigger problem. Um, yeah. it, 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 and that's when you get into these upper tiers, it's really interesting because there are some players that they're great, but you have to do so much to sort of assemble a team around them that fits and works that the like it's not as conducive in some ways to winning at the highest levels as it is with the classic archetype of like the small forward who can dribble and pass and shoot, right? Where you can put anything around them and it works, right? And uh, whereas, you know, a Joel Embiid type, he can dominate games, but you have to do, a, you, you have to put more structure around that to really make it work. The, the other thing that gets hard too, though, like in Westbrook's case, it's, you know, as he's aging and him falling out of the tier, you know, the, the, these top tiers, you're, you're beginning to, he doesn't see it that way. He, he He's not on the same page as the front office going like, yes, I'm getting older. Yes, my skills are diminishing. Yes, I suck now. That's not exactly what he said. But, you know, it's it's It's, it's hard the Carmelo the issue all over again, right? Yeah, you start kind of running into this whole thing of how do you kind of get these veteran guys to deal with the fact of like, yo, you're. You're getting older. You're not as efficient as you used to be. The the Sean Marion Vince Carter aging graceful star aging gracefully is much more the exception than the rule. They're the unicorns. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even even those guys, there was probably a a year or two in there where it was pretty rough for them, and they just they just realized it a lot more quickly. I think. And, and but still manage to be you know effective valuable players even as as kind of their 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 capabilities and and roles started to shrink. I mean you know uh, Marion was obviously a, a big part of Dallas's championship. So um, so you, you touched uh, John. You touched on something, and I want to I, I want to see if you agree with me on this. Is as I was especially moving into the top tiers. That's that's when I started to really put a premium on kind of high level offense creation, however you want to say it. And it, you know, it's it is it is kind of um, embodied by that kind of do everything small forward. Um, and that's both because I think that skill is valuable, but also a little bit what you were you were kind of alluding to is from a a team building perspective. Um, it's easier to find the guys to go around, um, you know. Jason Tatum than it will be to find the guys to go around Rudy Gobert. Once you've paid, assuming each of those guys are kind of on a maxish contract, like once you once you've established that, it seems like you can find you can find ninety percent of Gobert much easier than you can find ninety percent of Tatum. Is that would would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you still kind of have to go out and get your max perimeter player to make it work, even once you have your Gobert or your Embiid. Um, or even your, I mean, Jokic is a little different because he plays almost as a point center. But even with him, you could see where there are situations where, and you saw it in the Portland series a year ago too, where you need perimeter shot creation beyond just your your center dribbling it up and and throwing some crazy pass. Um, and uh, so, so from that sense, yeah, I mean that that perimeter shot creator, I think is is where it all starts for, for teams now. And it's one of the things, I, th- I think teams have still been a little slow on this, like when it comes to the draft, like at the top of the draft, like why are you drafting centers? Like what, what are right. we doing here, <laughs> right? Right. 
Well, I, I find it interesting just because I think teams now are re- hopefully beginning to realize you kind of need to have multiple ball handlers on the court. I think that's something, you know, that was one of the big things for the Lakers with Rondo and playing him with LeBron. It was he was able to create a couple easy looks for LeBron in that situation. He was able to enter the ball into the post for him. But just kind of having another guy. Now, Rondo's probably not a guy you're going to worry about pulling up and shooting, but you but having multiple ball handlers, multiple guys that can kind of play make at the same time sort of just opens up and maximizes everybody else on the court, right? Yeah, I mean, we saw it with Toronto the year before, right? We, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly we saw it with Golden State and the Splash Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw the reverse of it this year in, with, with Philly. Like, imagine how right. different yeah. if you just if you just replace like Shake Milton with with Rondo on on Philly in the playoffs this year. Like, is is that a more competitive series just because you know Rondo is able to? You know, feed Embiid in 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 good post up position with much more kind of consistency than than Phil, any of Philadelphia's perimeter guys were able to. I don't I don't think they win that series with Simmons out, but I think it's a it's less desultory if uh, if if you have a little bit of that. You weren't on the Shake Milton uh, is going to fix everything bandwagon there. I, know, I like Shake. I like Shake Milton, but I'm just like like that's a, like a specific like that's one specific skill that like to kind of to to John's point that that sort of all around like almost like a almost like a, a you know a, a ball moving central midfielder mm-hmm. who just who maybe not isn't gonna you know score the goal or make the killer pass himself but is just gonna keep things moving so everyone else can play yeah I, I, I find that to just be intensely uh, valuable and I don't know if I'm hoping more and more teams are going to see that. I mean, hopefully Philly will see it and start trying to figure out how to get actual ball handlers on their team to to help feed those guys. Uh, anybody got anything else before we uh, bounce? Is there anything we need to we need to touch on here before we uh, call it? Um, I just want to reiterate: uh, no matter which of the thirty teams you're a fan of, I hate your team. Um, hates your team. That. I just hates your player and hates you. I just I just think it was great for Seth to come up with these. End all and be all rankings uh, in order from one to one twenty five. That will stand yes. the test of time forever. Yes. That, that will, this is how it is for the next thirty years, folks. This is the this is the the ranking tiers, whatever the hell you want to call it, Seth. This is what we're going with. And John, your all hero team. This is a, this is what we're sticking with. And yeah, th- these are the only nine good players in the league. Period. Period. And also, you got to go read John's piece just for the great TLC comment. That's that's all I'm going to tease there for that. For John Hollinger, for Seth Partnow, for Super Producer Andrew Schleck, and me, Mo Dekeel. I think we're done, and hopefully next week we'll have a furry Dave.